Well, this morning we're kicking off a brand new message series in the book of Acts. There is a lot in this book. And so we're just going to walk slowly through it. So I don't have a timeline. I don't know how long it'll take us. But it's an exciting book. And there's lots of great information as in all of scripture. But the title of our message series is Unstoppable. Because this is the story of God, right? This is the book of Acts is the story um, of the church. It's the story of the growth of the gospel uh, from when Jesus departed to today. In a lot of ways, we're living in a continuation of this story. And so um, the gospel has persevered, right? There have been many attacks. There have been many efforts by world leaders to shut it down and kill the messengers. There's been persecution. And yet it goes on and on. The gospel continues to go forth. And underground churches, even in some of the greatest um, places of oppression today against the gospel, there's revival happening. There are souls being saved. And it's mind-blowing because this message of Christ is foolishness to the world. And yet it is the power to salvation. And so um, it is this gospel that is unstoppable. It is the plan of God that's unstoppable. And it's part of our story here today. And so that's what this uh, message series is entitled. We're going to begin in chapter one. We'll talk a little bit about the book of Acts after we read the passage for today. It's chapter one, beginning in verse one. It says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this account. Thank you, Lord, that you saw us in our brokenness. You saw the world in our rebellion, God, in our lostness, and you took the initiative to come to bring redemption, to bring healing, to restore us to yourself. Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message this morning is Power, Purpose, and Plan, right? Because it's exactly what we see here right from the start in the book of Acts. From the mouth of Jesus himself, 
for the church, for you and for me. So the author of Acts is Luke, right? And Luke, uh, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke, and we know that he's a physician from Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. We know some things about him. He was not one of the original 12 disciples, but believed to be one of the 70 that were sent out. This is, Acts is the second chapter of what Luke was writing. Luke, the gospel was first. And you saw that at the very beginning when he said, I'm continuing on from what I had written before. From, from Jesus' life and ministry to the story of the church, the birth and growth and mission of the church. It's addressed, interestingly enough, to a man named Theophilus. It's weird as we're reading this. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm, this is not for me. It is for us. It's written to us through a letter to Theophilus. And this, we don't know a lot about Theophilus. It's assumed that he was a, a Christian wanting some instruction. Um, he might have been a Roman official being briefed by Luke on the history of the Christian movement, um, the name could just be symbolic. That, that name Theophilus means God lover. So it may, may be a way of saying brother. We don't know for sure. But uh, we know in the book of Luke, at the very beginning, he addresses Theophilus as well. Luke chapter one, he says, it seemed good to me also. And in this, we find why he's writing to Theophilus. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's why the book was written, that we might have certainty of the message of Christ. It's somewhat of a historical book. It's going to walk us through this time when Jesus left and how the church grows and introduces us to the Apostle Paul and um, Stephen and others. It's a bridge from Jesus and the Gospels to the birth of the church and the spread of Christianity. And so Jesus rose from the grave as he said he would. He appeared to his followers Remember, we talked about it last week. He said, go and make disciples. He appeared to them on a mountain and said that to them. And then it says right here, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them before 40 days. I mean, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He says by many proofs, right? What does that mean? It means Jesus demonstrated that he was alive to them. Remember, he, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room. He appeared to Thomas and said, put your hand in, in the wounds. Remember, he appeared to Mary in the garden. Um, he appeared on the road to Emmaus with them as they traveled. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Paul described one of those many infallible proofs like this. He said, Jesus was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. So there are many witnesses that Jesus appeared, and that's what he's saying here. He, he appeared with many proofs. To me, one of the proofs of that period of time, those 40 days, is that the disciples completely changed their attitude. Remember, they were hiding. Remember, Peter was denying Jesus. They were afraid, and all of a sudden, Jesus is crucified, put to death, and they're confused, and they're hiding away, but then all of a sudden, they're bold, they're preaching the gospel, they're going around the world, they're being put to death, and I've said this before, it's, it's hard to die for what you know is a lie. 
right? At some point you say, okay, okay, uh, he's in Peter's backyard or whatever. So this is another proof. He appeared to these disciples and they were witnesses of his bodily resurrection. And so Jesus appears to them. He begins to bring uh, this last message to them before he ascends. And he tells them to wait. Wait for what? Right? The disciples have to be thinking, listen, we thought you were dead and gone, and now you've risen, you've proven that you're alive. This movement is full steam ahead. You're alive. Let's go. We can take over now, right? Well, he unpacks why in the next few verses. They had a great mission, but to accomplish it, they needed a few things. And so this is where we this is where we're going in, in, in verse eight. We pick up right there. First of all, they needed power. He says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, when Jesus came to the earth, he came to bring the very presence of God to man. He came to establish the kingdom of God on earth through Jesus. Remember the angel said, Emmanuel, God with us. That's why Jesus came, not simply for a season, not for a moment, not just for those in Israel, Jerusalem, but to establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of man. Remember Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as he was teaching the disciples how to pray. But the disciples didn't quite fully grasp this yet. And it's interesting in verse three, it says he appeared to them for 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I wonder what that conversation was about. What were those conversations about? The kingdom of God. It's the gospel. The kingdom of God is the messianic kingdom established in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king of that kingdom in the hearts of man and through the lives of Christians Through spiritually new people, Jesus is establishing the kingdom of God through us, in us. But in verse 6, this shows they're still a little confused. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus' response is critical. He says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't embarrass them. Because they're, they're... Our prophecies in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 and the book of Jeremiah that talk about the actual physical kingdom, nation of Israel being restored at some point. But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the kingdom of God in the restoration of mankind to himself. That's at the heart of why Jesus came. That's why the cross to remove the wall of separation between God and man, to remove sin, to to remove religion and spiritual confusion, to, to kill hatred and racism and division. All that was resulted from the fall in our nature, all that has separated us from a relationship with him for his glory. Now we would say the kingdom of God is just where God rules and reigns. And and we would say God does rule and reign over the world. But in our fall, we have created our own kingdom. And Jesus even describes Satan as the, the ruler of the world, the prince of the world. Because his rule and reign battles now. 
battles in the hearts of man. But Jesus came to restore the kingdom of God, to to initiate the kingdom of God through Christ, not only cosmically, but personally. His rule and reign in your life and in my life, in your family, in your career, in your education, my thoughts and plans. Jesus came and the veil was torn that we might have access to the kingdom of God in our personal lives. That's what Jesus did. And then he left. Physically. But it The story doesn't end there. That's this power that he's speaking of. In verse four, wait for the promise of the father, he says, which you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit for many days now. Jesus calls them to remember the promise of his presence. He said, if I go, I will send another. He has not left us alone. He said, I am sending the Holy Spirit to continue this, to continue the work of the kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus said in John chapter 16, but very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John the Baptist said in Luke 3, 16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we're going to see that play out in chapter 2 when we get to chapter 2 of Acts. But there's a new reality that Jesus has established between God and you and me. That we would have his very presence not only with us, but in us. See, we've, ex- we've experienced the Holy Spirit. These people, these disciples had heard about the Holy Spirit. They had seen the Holy Spirit's work. Genesis, the earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Even in verse 2 of this passage, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. The Holy Spirit has always been and has always been at work. But through Jesus, we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which means we have the complete indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's in us, or He is in us. He's not off far. And we are baptized with this power. You and I have been given power. These disciples were given power. The Holy Spirit, first of all, has the power to make us alive spiritually, right? That's what Romans 8, 11 says. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So without Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. But Christ restores us, redeems us, takes away our sin. And the Holy Spirit walks with us empowers us to hear spiritually, to hear the voice of God, to to know the will of God. He transforms me. The Holy Spirit has power to transform you. He is seeking to transform you and I today. Ezekiel 36, 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the Holy Spirit is the power, the power to raise us from the spiritually dead, the power to to sanctify us and change us. He gives hope. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. He brings comfort. 
He's an advocate to our own hearts when we condemn ourselves. He's a gift. The Holy Spirit is the voice of God. But he's not just for me. We see in this passage, he was given to empower the message of Christ. He is the power that will take the message of Christ beyond this little crew of fishermen to the world. He is the fuel for the church to go and to grow. It's not my cleverness or yours. It's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told his disciples, wait, wait for the Spirit. Because the truth is we can do nothing without the Spirit. We can do nothing. And he said, wait for the Spirit. Why make them wait? I thought about that as I was reading this. Why not just like, okay, there he goes and here comes the Spirit out of the cloud at the same time. But there was a period of time to wait. Well, first of all, he wanted them to look expectantly for him. He wanted them to keep their eyes, their attention on Christ and on the promises of Jesus. Same with us. He wanted them also to understand without a doubt that it was the supernatural provision. It was not their own strength. And he ultimately knew what was going on behind the scenes. That's a great lesson for us. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We try to minister. We try to um, live life without the Holy Spirit guiding us. And we can do nothing. Wait. Sometimes the Spirit says wait. Sometimes the Spirit says go. Sometimes the Spirit says no. When we have mission teams come to the city, one of the first things I ask them is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times we come from different places. We have gospel tracks or we have a cube or whatever we want to do and we're going to do it. Well, some, God calls us to be sensitive to his spirit always because he is the power. He is leading us. He speaks. Sometimes he says, wait. And the Holy Spirit is central to the plan of God to establish his church. What we see here this morning is because of the power of the Holy Spirit moving through those few men and women right there in that community. But the Spirit is given for this particular purpose. He says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. See, the kingdom of God through the Messiah is ushered in through Jesus, but it continues through you and through me. The rule and reign of Jesus is growing in the world or will grow in the world as the Holy Spirit moves through you and moves through me. And what the Holy Spirit does is he points to Jesus. In your heart and in my heart, he reminds me of what Jesus said. He points me back to the promises of Christ. And he points the world to Jesus as he works through us and empowering us to be his witnesses. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. First and foremost is to be his witness. This, this word witness speaks of a witness like in a court of law, right? So it's, it's testifying to what I know, what I have seen and experienced to share that, to share who Jesus is. And it's not just a sermon, it's demonstrating that in my life. It's the Holy Spirit working through my life. 
And yes, with my words as well. I've told this story to some of you. We, we had, when we first moved here, Ruby was in fifth grade over at PS 166. And we were doing some stuff at the school. And one of the fathers of one of the other kids there asked me to go to breakfast with him. I was like, sure. So we went to breakfast and we kind of talked for a few minutes. And um, he said, I just want to tell you, your daughter is amazing. Like, oh, thanks. I know that. He's like, well, what are you doing to make her that way? I was like, it's not me. That's in spite of me. He said, well, I have two sons and one of them sits right next to Ruby and he's been like clinically, he's like shy. It's affected. He's had to have meet with counselors. His teacher has said that it's affected his work and he doesn't play with the other kids. He's very, you know, in the corner, whatever. But ever since Ruby's gotten there, he's coming out of, he's come out of his shell and she's running around the playground, including him. And all of a sudden he's playing. And when him and my other son get home, all I hear is Ruby, 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 Ruby. How did you do that? So we continued that conversation and continue to tell him she's just awesome. Um, and then he said, well, what do you do? And I, I explained to him, I'm a pastor. And as soon as I said that, he went, stop. I have problems with the church, the church and Christians and all that. That's like hip, hypocrites. Look at politics, abuse. I mean, just read the paper. I, I, I just, I can't deal with that. You know, it's just, I got problems with the church. And I said, well, let me, let me just tell you this, man. We follow Jesus Christ. And we believe that if you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life should show that. And if your life doesn't show that, and if you don't see that in the life of someone, you have every reason to question, not Jesus, question whether or not they really do follow Jesus. And he paused for a second. He said, well, I definitely see that in Ruby. He saw it demonstrated in her, in her life and in the situation that was going on with his son. The spirit of God works through us every day to the people around us. It's not about a self-centered life as a Christian. It's not about consuming the Holy Spirit in my life. He does all those things we talked about, convicts, encourages, all those things, but Ultimately, he's pointing to Jesus. He points us to Jesus. He drew you to Jesus. And now he's working through your life to the world around you. And that can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not primarily about our experiences personally. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, some of what it says there, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, he goes on with patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see that those are about the Spirit's work in me and through me. Love, joy, peace in me. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are, those are working through me. Those are interacting with the people around me, the world around me. In the Greek... This word for witness is martus, which is the same that we get our word martyr from. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. You will be possessed by me, my spirit working through you and pointing to me. 
So my life is to be about him, pointing to him. Rich Mullins, I don't know if you ever heard of him. He died years ago, but he was a Christian musician back in the 80s. Died in a car crash, but he wrote the song, Awesome God, if you've ever heard that. Our God is an awesome God. Anyway, he used to tell people and put on his biography and different things that he wanted to be an arrow pointing towards heaven. He wanted his life to point to Jesus. Listen, this morning, you are a missionary. You and I are missionaries. Whether we like it or not, we're either good or bad. But we've received the Holy Spirit in order to be empowered to be witnesses of Jesus. Here's a key point here too. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. That's huge. It's not my job to convict others of their sin. If I'm nervous about sharing Jesus with the people that I know or closest to me that are lost, listen, remember, it's not about me. It's not even my power. It's not even, I'm not even going to set up the situation. Jesus is at work. He's moving in people around you. He's moving people into my life and out of my life. It's not me. It's him. I just have to be sensitive and obedient to him. If I'm frustrated because someone I've shared the gospel with will not respond to it, listen, the pressure's off of me. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts and life. It's not me. If I'm angry or aggravated with someone else's sin, it's it's not about me. It's about God's Holy Spirit working in their lives. You and I are just called to be obedient. Thomas and I were talking this past week and something just flew out of my mouth as we were talking. Not a crumb, but I was thinking about this, you know, because we were talking about this and wrestling with it. And I realized, you know what? It's, it's our calling to, to let people know, let them know. It's the Holy Spirit's job to get them to go, right? Our responsibility is to let them know. So if there's people in your life, the Holy Spirit is working through you to let them know. And he is doing the work in getting them to go. So the pressure is not on us, but also that frees us from the judgment of seeking to judge others and to try and be the Holy Spirit and bring conviction on others. We just need to be faithful and obedient in sharing, letting them know. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is moving in and through the church, through your life, through my life. And that happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been given that gift. The Holy Spirit, the the presence of Christ every day, every moment, moving and working in your heart and mind. It's the purpose of that power is that you would be a witness for Jesus Christ ultimately. All the learning that we do, we gather for small groups and D groups. We get here on Sunday morning, beautiful times of worship together. We're empowered to go and share. And that takes me to the the final point, which is the plan. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So there's the purpose in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Listen, the plan of reaching the world for Jesus Christ is you. It's me. When, when my, we get together with my church planning buddies and pastors and we talk about outreach strategies and everything, I always tell them my outreach strategy is, is you and me. He says, go to Jerusalem and Judea. What's he telling him? Right here. He says, right here. That's kind of our philosophy at Neighborhood Church. Start right where you're at. Right in your building, at your job, in your class, the people that God has put around you. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. That word, that phrase means as you go. So in your daily life. The root, the Hebrew root of that word to go is, is literally to live. So it's living on mission, my everyday life, seeing my life as a mission field. He also says Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He's saying intentionally reach out and reach into people's lives that are not like you, that don't even agree with you. Because there were walls with Samaritans and Jews back then, remember? He's saying that the gospel is for them too. So take it to them. Be intentional with your life. Figure out how, God, Holy Spirit, how can I move in such a way where I'm in the lives of lost people and the people that you are taking me to, that you want to work through me to? And sometimes it's just looking up and they're right around you, especially in a city like New York City in your work and in your school, we don't have to go real far to see maybe someone who's come from the other side of the earth right down the row from me. And it's, it's a challenge to not let lifestyle or culture get in the way of me being an influence for Jesus. Not theirs and not mine. See people as an opportunity to have influence with the gospel. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. And we see that in the disciples. Peter went throughout the Roman Empire preaching the gospel. Andrew went through Greece and Italy. Thomas, doubting Thomas, was a missionary to India. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. There is a call to go as well. We were just talking about Alex and Natalie a little bit earlier. They've gone to Texas to be trained to take the gospel to Muslim countries and to Muslim families and There is a call to go into the mission field beyond where we are. And it may be that God's calling you to that. That's a possibility. Always have that in front of your mind in prayer. God, I'm holding on loosely whatever you're calling me to. But he's calling us all to go in our everyday lives, our friends, our neighbors. I remember one time Sophie and I were... I know, guys, you're my kids, so you, you got to be illustrations. <laughs> They're good. I remember she was a senior in high school and she came home. I, I may have told you about this before, but she said, you know, we're studying Romans chapter one. She went to a Christian school and she said, I'm just struggling with the fact that, you know, what if they don't know? What if some people just have never heard the gospel? What about the ones that have never heard? You know, the man on the island kind of idea. It's not really fair that some of us are born into these towns that are like a a church on every block. And then there's people in the middle of nowhere. That just seems kind of unfair. And my response was, first of all, we we don't really we're not really good at judging what fair is when it comes to God's perspective. But the reality is Jesus has called us to go. 
So why would that not be fair? It's not fair that that person is on the other side of the world in a very remote, hard to get to place and doesn't have access to the gospel. It would only be fair if I'm not willing to go. Jesus's plan was to go through you and through me to that man on the island. But too often we get in a place where we're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm busy pursuing the American dream. I'm busy. I've got my plans and you know, that doesn't really fit. So it's not really fair. Well, let's, let's just call it what it is. It's not that God's not fair. Sometimes we just don't respond to the call to go. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit. It was interesting because I felt like she was just bouncing that off me because the next day she texted me from school and said, I'm going to be a missionary. (laughs) I believe some of us have lost our fire in our faith because we don't step out in faith. We don't go and share. We've lost our zeal. We've stopped looking for those opportunities. We've stopped asking the Holy Spirit to speak through us. I love it when I have conversations with other believers and and some of y'all have shared this with me and we we start to talk and you say something about being at work or being at home or an apartment and someone's there and you're thinking how you're having this inner struggle. How do I start a conversation about Christ? How can I even, man, that's the Holy Spirit working in you and working in me. Nothing ignites our faith like obedience, stepping out in faith. There's a song back in the 80s. The the lyrics say this, and it's as true today as it was back then. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus Hears. People need the Lord. Listen, people in your life need the Lord. People at your job need Jesus. People in your family need Christ. Lostness is real. Brokenness is real. Jesus is the answer. My question to you this morning is, who does that describe in your life? Empty people filled with care. Broken. Silent pain. Because the plan is for you and for me. It began with those disciples, the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's come to you and to me. Jesus wants to heal. He wants to reach the man on the island. He wants to heal the family. He wants to begin generations of blessing on families. But he's chosen to work through you and through me. And then there's an amazing promise here. I'll try to zip through this, but it's just... So interesting. Verse nine, he says, when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them with robes, white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. The second coming of Jesus, he is coming back, right? He says in verse 11, he will come in the same way you saw him go. What does that mean? That means he left physically. He is returning physically. We will see him. He left visibly. He will return visibly. Luke wrote in the gospel of Luke 
And there will be signs in sun, in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. And raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That was Jesus' words. Jesus said it as an encouragement. Look up. The promise is true. The king is coming. It's an encouragement for believers, but it's also a warning for those who do not know Christ. It's this terrifying picture. What? Wait, what is happening? What is going on? I've heard lately uh, a kind of a conspiracy theory. That means I'm, that doesn't mean I'm pushing it aside. I'm just saying I've heard it. That all this talk about aliens now that's come back up and UFOs, you know, it's kind of resurfaced recently, is, is just the world getting ready to explain when Christians disappear. When the second coming, coming happens, that the news will have something to say about that's where all these people went, the aliens. It, w- it won't be this talk about God or Jesus The second coming of Christ is going to happen. It is happening. And there's many debates on what that will look like and when it will happen. Is there a rapture? Is it exactly like that? Some things we agree on, and that's this. Number one, Christ will return in bodily form to consummate his eternal kingdom. That's what he said right here. Just as he went, he's coming. Number two, his return will reveal true believers in Matthew chapter 7. There's that scene where Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, or well done, good and faithful servant. We know, according to Matthew 24, that the world will spiral more and more into chaos leading up to his return. That's what Jesus said. And finally, we know that all persons will stand before the God of the universe and either be be declared righteous because they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and his blood, or they will stand on their own righteousness and their own merit. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, and they will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But the will of God is that this is victorious for all of us, that the second coming of Jesus is a celebration. The king will ultimately return. But until then, you and I will continue. We must continue with the power, the purpose, and plan of God to bring the message of hope and salvation to the lost and broken and dying world. Think of the over, as I close, I promise I'm closing here. Think of the overwhelming task with these guys. As Jesus says all that, you're going to get power, and then I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. They're like, wait a minute, we're just some fishermen. Overwhelming. And yet today, over 2.4 billion professing Christians in the world. That's a move of God. And he is still moving and he's called you and I to be a part of that. Luke wrote the gospel to tell how Jesus began to do and to teach. He wrote Acts, the continuation of Jesus' work. And today in you and me, it continues So let me encourage you. 
He's given you his Holy Spirit. You have the power. He's laid out his purpose and plan for your life and for the world. And he has chosen you to go and to tell. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that applies that word to our hearts. Lord, there's times when I really try to hammer home a point and yet you are speaking, piercing a heart in some other way. And this morning you may be calling some here to trust you as Savior. You may be calling some here to to see their lives as a mission field. Lord, you're calling all of us to that. but You're bringing conviction on that. Some of us, maybe you're calling some of us to go, to even consider what would it look like to go beyond my comfort zone, to share Jesus, to be a witness of Christ. God, have your way in every one of us this morning. May we respond in obedience. Thank you for sending someone to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for piercing the darkness of my heart by moving through people around me's lives and their words that they were not ashamed of the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.